Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we love you and we adore you, and your words are light and life to us. We ask, Lord, that you will now open up the Scriptures that we might hear from you. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So it's not lost on me that on the day in which we're preaching on spiritual warfare, there's just been a lot of really interesting hiccups today. Um, we forgot the flowers to begin with. We forgot uh, the base to the cross. Molly and I uh, had a, a lovely little uh, argument this morning before church, which we have resolved, I think. Um, I have apologized profusely. Um, <laughs> we, we do have arguments. Uh, thanks to our children as well, uh, who helped put us back into shape for that. So, uh, our basement flooded this week. Just lots of really fun, exciting things. Um, so, uh, the, these are to be expected, I suppose, when one is preaching on Ephesians 6. In one of the commentaries I read, uh, it said, um, how did they phrase it? Yeah, even the act of talking about spiritual warfare is an act of spiritual warfare. And I'm sure several of you have uh, noticed that at several points in your life where uh, lots of circumstances sort of seem to be uh, just stack up against you. And you might find yourself wondering, man, am I under attack right now? Like, what is going on? Uh, Nina and I were talking about that before the service earlier today. But yeah, so let's, let's dive into our Scriptures. So one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament, this isn't what we read uh, this morning, but one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is, comes from uh, 2 Kings chapter 6 when uh, the king of Syria has been repeatedly trying to overtake cities in Israel unsuccessfully uh, because it just seems like through bizarre circumstances that Israel is able to know exactly what cities the king of Syria is about to pick, and so they're able to um, prevent any sort of surprise attack. And so the king of Syria is furious at Israel's prophet Elisha. Uh, it's, someone says to the king of Syria, yeah, this prophet, he, he knows, it seems to be as if he knows the words that you utter alone in your bedroom, uh, which is just a, a scary sort of rattling thing to be told by anybody, I'm sure. So the king of Syria sends this large army to surround Elisha's city in the middle of night. And Elisha's servant probably hears some of this commotion happening, and he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he looks out, and he sees the Syrian army out there. He's terrified. He's overwhelmed. He doesn't know exactly what to do. In fact, he goes to his master, the, the prophet, he goes to Elisha and says, what are we going to do? He probably screamed out just like that. <laughs> and Elisha tries to calm his servant, and he says to him, do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with him. And then at that moment, the Lord opens up the eyes of the servant, and he looks out and he sees horses and chariots of fire that are just filling the hills that are out there. And so it is, because of the Lord's mighty presence, that servant and Elisha had nothing to fear. The Apostle John sort of picks up on this same theme in the New Testament. He echoes Elisha's words and says something very similar. He says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Well, today is the last Sunday that we're looking at the book of Ephesians. We've been following the Sunday lectionary, the, the reading schedule, uh, going through the passages from Ephesians. And for the past several weeks, we've been looking at this new culture that God creates in Christ. 
and how we, the church, are supposed to be icons of this new culture, of this kingdom of God. And all throughout the, la- the letter, we've been hearing about these beautiful, mystical, um, just surreal kind of depictions of Christ in the cosmos. And we've been called light. Uh, we've been uh, discussing the, the um, peace that we get to experience as Christians. And so some might be tempted to label Paul an idealist, because what we've been reading through the book of Ephesians sounds almost too good to be true. Well, then today, Paul gives us a stark picture, a very jostling picture of the clear battle that you and I are engaged in. And my hope for us as we dive into this passage is that we will be like Elisha's servant this morning. That even though we leave here and we go, we have things that are even on our minds right now that we've brought with us today, we look into the darkness. We look into the darkness of what's happening in our world right now, on the other side of the planet. We look at the darkness of what's happening in our neighborhoods right now. And even inside those wrestlings and those struggles that we experience, as we look into all of these dark places, we see these vast armies, it feels like, that are surrounding us, even now. But in spite of this, What Paul does is he is reminding us of the gospel weapons that we have at our disposal. And so my hope is that just like that story from 2 Kings, our eyes would be open this morning. They would see the resources that God has given every single one of you. And that we would have a confidence, not in our own strength, but a confidence in Christ and what He has won for us and what He gives us and what He is inviting us into. So my hope is that as we go out, from here today, that we would be filled with a confidence in Christ. And so, what I would like to do is talk about the reality of evil, and then I want to talk about the good news that Jesus gives us. So, it seems like these days, everyone will acknowledge evil. The existence of evil in and of itself isn't really a controversial topic. You'll hear everyone sort of admit the realities of evil, but you will hear differences in terms of how people define it. You'll have the atheistic materialist who will say that evil is just sort of this mental construct. It's, it's sort of this catch-all term for things that we just find to be uncomfortable or bad or cause suffering. So, for the materialist, evil is just a construct. For the humanist, evil is just like a lack of understanding or it's bad politics, which that's, that's probably valid, (laughs) for sure. But they'll look and think that it's simply a matter of more education that can solve the problem of evil. And then you have the pagan or the the spiritualist um, who will acknowledge the reality that, that evil is superficial, but they'll probably think that it's something that can be manipulated or controlled um, by their own behavior or actions or incantations. Uh, some of you have probably heard me this, tell the story before of just being in a, a coffee shop here in town and overhearing two girls discussing which Wiccan coven to go to, which is the best to hear the most um, wise advice from spirits. There's over 200 Wiccan covens that are present here in the Twin Cities alone. So I talk about the pagan not as some ancient sort of religion that used to exist back then, but something that's very alive and real today. Well, C.S. Lewis, that quintessential Anglican, he said this. He says that the general public prefers to either ignore the facts of evil altogether or they take an unhealthy obsession in everything demonic, which can be just as bad. And I think all throughout society, if we were to think about different sort of groups of people, we would be able to place them along that chart of either completely ignoring the realities of evil 
or being absolutely obsessed with it. Well, it's my conviction that the Bible has the highest view of evil that you will encounter. The Bible is very clear about the realities of evil. It has a high view of it, and we as Christians are supposed to acknowledge those realities, but also the realities of what we are equipped with. In verse 11 of today's reading from Ephesians, it says this, "'Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil.'" For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So there's at least three things that I want to say about the nature of evil that we can see in these verses. So uh, Paul Kingsnorth is an author I've I've talked about a lot. Um, He has a lot to say kind of about modern Gnosticism and um, lots of interesting things. But he, he spent a season of his life actually as a pagan. He's an English author. Um, he's, he spent a season of his life as a, a pagan witch. And he said, my coven used to do its rituals in the woods under the full moon. And he says, it was fun. And we actually saw magic happen. We made things actually happen. And he said, but one night in the woods, there was a particularly disturbing event that happens, and he doesn't describe it in detail. You can tell that he's still trying to wrap his mind around exactly what happened. But he does say, I knew that I had encountered something that wanted to destroy me. And for him, that, that fierce encounter with evil is what eventually led him to convert to Christianity because he felt like even his paganism didn't really have a place for um, describing the event that he experienced. But the Bible is clear. Evil is more than just a social construct. Evil is more than just an absence of education. Evil is a thinking, feeling, speaking, acting, personal creature. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that is, actual human beings, although we can certainly become the tools of the devil, but our battle is against cosmic cosmic intelligences. So, my first point is that evil is personal. But not only is evil personal, evil is also powerful. The Bible tells us about principalities and powers and rulers and authorities, and it's difficult to say whether or not Paul was talking about an actual hierarchy of hell, but what we do know is that they hold power and authority. Satan himself comes to Jesus in the Gospels, and he offers him all the kingdoms of the world for if Jesus would only bow down and worship him. And while eventually Jesus did conquer Satan at the cross, until Jesus returns again, Satan has the ability, or he has refused to concede his defeat. He continues to usurp God's plan to rescue humanity. Evil is powerful. Verse 11 of of our reading, it also says this. It says that we are called to put on the armor of God in order to stand against the schemes of the devil, the schemes of the devil. That word schemes in the original language uh, doesn't quite sort of capture the entire gravitas of what's being said here. It's more like ingenious trickery or tactical strategizing that the devil is engaging in. Elsewhere in the Bible, we hear that the devil is a dangerous wolf, but he also enters into the flock disguised as a sheep. Sometimes, yes, he roars like a lion, but more often than not, he's as subtle as a serpent, slithering around, whispering in our ears convincing us of his lies. Evil is strategic, cunning. Evil is smart. And in a sense, this shouldn't shock us, right? 
Like if we're being observant in just what's going on in the headlines right now, what's going on in the world right now, should we really be surprised that evil is personal, powerful, wise, manipulative, able to have coordinated attacks against God's people and the rest of humanity? So I think that if your worldview doesn't give enough credit or respect to the powers of evil, I think you're living in ignorance, to be quite honest, because how else can you explain what's going on? But secondly, I also think that you're, you're easy prey if you're not giving enough respect to the evil one. Evil is personal, powerful, and strategic. But thankfully, there's good news in this. Yes, the powers of darkness are strong, but thanks be to God that He is stronger. Amen? At the cross of Christ, the strategies of darkness were out-strategized. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan underneath His feet, which we say every week in our liturgy. In baptism, you and I are then united with Christ in His victory, and we share in His righteousness. We share in His protection. We're able to enjoy His victory through uh, being united with Him. So we are told in this passage that we are given divine armor, divine clothing, divine protection, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, so that you might be able to withstand the events of the evil day. And having done all that, to be able to stand, therefore stand, it says, over and over and over again. I love what John Stott says. He says, wobbly Christians do not have a firm foundation. God equips us in His grace to stand firm on the evil day. So real quick, what I would love to do is work through each of these pieces of armor. And this is just a fun passage. I, f- I forgot to uh, give a, a drawing charge to our kids. But if you want to draw some of these pieces of armor, that'd be awesome. I'd love to see how your imagination would portray these things. So first, the belt of truth. What does it mean to have the belt of truth? Well, for the ancient soldier, the belt of truth gathered together their eunuch. It, it, it sort of um, held his, his tunic together. Not his eunuch. That's something different. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> held together his tunic. It also is what would uh, secure his sword by his side. And similarly, truth for us, brothers and sisters, holds together our lives. Truth is the structure of which we, we um, understand things in our lives. Elsewhere, if we were to look in some of the previous things that Paul has been saying, he, he tells believers to speak the truth in love, to speak truthfully to your neighbor, not to slander them or to trick them. So without truth, our lives fall apart and our witness is ignored. May we be people of integrity, people of truth. Second is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate would cover both the front and the back of a soldier, protecting their vital organs. Now, it's called the breastplate of righteousness. And when Paul uses that word righteousness, he's referring to the righteousness that we receive in our baptisms in Christ Jesus, gifts from the Lord. So in our battles, we walk knowing that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It covers us front and back. And so we stand before God, not as people who are condemned. And that truth that we are not condemned, that we are accepted before God, that truth is our essential defense against the devil's accusations. We are clothed in Christ. Thirdly, the boots of the gospel of peace. 
Uh, a spiritual father of mine long ago, it was kind of a random comment. I don't know exactly what would have spurred it. Maybe it was this Bible passage. But he told me it's, it's actually, oh, it's, <laughs> I remember it now. I'll tell you later. But uh, <laughs> he told me that it was, it was a worthy thing to wear boots or, or to spend good money on boots is what he said. And we lived in Chicago at the time, you know, without good boots, you would slide around in the snow, you wouldn't be able to walk properly, you wouldn't have secure footing. Um, I almost wore my boots today, but it's, it's still kind of warm out, so I, I decided to avoid that. But boots give you firm footing, they give you agility on rough terrain. Now the boots of the Lord give us gospel peace, reminds us of what the, the psalmist says. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, is what the psalmist tells us. You see, the Christians, equipped with the boots of the gospel of peace, take the risks and travel rough terrain in order to proclaim the freedom from sin, victory over darkness, and hope of a future eternal shalom. That is the good news that we have. That is the agility that we have. Beautiful are the feet that bring that news to others. Fourth, we have the shield of faith. Faith in Jesus Christ as the risen Lord and loyalty to Him alone will protect you when the enemy hurls His flaming darts at you. Arrows may be doubt or despair. Those arrows might be sharp temptation or burning tragedy that happens in your life. But what we do every single Sunday is we raise up this shield of faith and we declare together the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. That's our battle cry. We shout that to one another. It's the mystery of faith that protects us from these flaming darts of the enemy. Fifth, we have the helmet of salvation. This was probably the most fun for me to learn about because I was reminded that not only is the helmet something that protects your head from blows and stuff like that, but it was also decorated with your colors countries. A helmet is kind of like a battle cry in and of itself. These are my colors. This is who I belong to. This is what I stand for. Well, what does our helmet declare? Our helmet declares salvation. Our helmet declares that salvation is in the name of the Lord. Again, the psalmist says, if the Lord is my light and my salvation, who shall I fear? And then sixth, probably a favorite of all of ours, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As the writer of Hebrews says, the Word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut between soul and spirit, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. For those of you who read your Bibles, and I hope that's every single one of you, don't you know this to be true? Haven't you had these moments as you're reading the Holy Scripture and it's like the Holy Spirit just captures the words on, those page, on the pages and just pierces your heart in those moments? God's Word has a power to pierce our conscience and to stab us awake when we start to fall asleep. Uh, I became a Christian, a Christian as a teenager, and I remember vividly uh, having these memories of going to bed early so that I could read the book of Romans uh, in my bed. Um, it was a waterbed, so it's, it's, it was kind of, I don't know why my parents bought me a waterbed, <laughs> uh, but it was just weird memories. Anyway, uh, but I remember the Lord speaking to me as I just gobbled up the Scriptures in those moments. God's Word was like a doctor's sharp, sharp scalpel. It was both convicting, it pierced me, but it was also healing and encouraging, cutting through my heart and my soul. Now, sometimes, dear Christian, God puts that sword in your hand. That's what we're giving, that, that's what we're giving the authority of. You're given the boldness to read the Bible to others, to share it with one another, with your households, with non-believers. 
And this can be a powerful, life-changing experience. May we never be ashamed to bear the sword that God has given us. Now, what we've just gone through are six pieces of armor. And I, I think it might be hard to believe that Paul, being a good Jew, uh, would have created a, a list of divine armor that's just six items on it. Uh, seven is the number of completion. And I recognize I, I, I didn't read this in any commentary, so this might be just a, a Rick weird thought. I'll, I'll grant that uh, to our New Testament scholars out there. But I think what, because there's six, it causes me to ask, what's the seventh weapon? What is the, the complete set here? And I think that's why we're supposed to treat the next thing that Paul mentions as that, that beautiful sort of coup de grace, the strong weapon that we're given. In verse 18, Paul says, pray. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and all supplication or all petitioning. Keep alert with all perseverance. Pray for all of the saints. Uh, I was speaking with uh, one of you uh, several months ago, and you were just, I remember you saying, um, one of the things that I find encouraging about your tradition is that whenever tragedy hits, the first course of action is to pray. And we have this beautiful prayer book that's full of, of prayers for us to pull from, from when we don't have the words, when we don't have the things to say. And so that's why, you know, over a year ago when a pandemic strikes, what's one of the first things that we do? We started having morning prayer services on Zoom. We gathered and we petitioned the Lord. And there was even prayers in our prayer book against uh, disease and pandemics like this. And we were able to leverage that. That's also why when there's police brutality in our neighborhoods, and the, our community is being turned upside down, we go to one of your homes who's just a block away from 38th and Chicago, and we gather together and we pray for the peace of the city. Even before um, acts of service, we gather for prayer. And that's why when there's riots that erupt through our city and terrorize many of you, many of us, we immediately hold services of lament and petition and prayer. You see, when we call upon the name of the Lord the powers of darkness quake before us. Yes, terrible things do happen and will continue to happen until Jesus comes back again. But by the grace of God alone, we're able to stand. Paul elsewhere says, he says this, he says, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed. We're perplexed but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of, the, of, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You see, people, this doesn't mean that we're devoid of any sort of suffering, but it means that we are not alone, that we can walk into these, these tragedies, these, these dark moments, these evil days, as Paul says in Ephesians knowing that the Lord is with us, knowing that the Lord is with us. In the Old Testament, it's the Lord Himself who fights and wins battles. But today, and part of the beauty that we see in Ephesians, is that the weapons and the armor are His still, but now He shares them with us, His redeemed people, the baptized people of God. And so you have holy armor that has been forged and finished by the hand of the Lord Himself truth, righteousness, faith, peace, salvation, word, and prayer. And so may you stand in the confidence of Christ as you go into the world. Please pray with me.
Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease, and holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, but deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. Lead on, O King Eternal, we follow not with fears, for gladness breaks like morning, where'er thy, fight, there thy face appears. Thy cross is lifted over us, we journey in its light, we follow as you guide us. Lead on, O God of might. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.